live from beyond the Beltway. This is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor in your window, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Jennifer Lynn, foreign policy instructor at the University of Chicago. Paul Post, University of Chicago foreign policy expert and associate professor, and Chris Roebling, international uh, consultant and a longtime Republican commentator. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at the museum, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> at AM560. At AM560, uh, the answer, that's uh, Salem Communications uh, in the United States and in the city of Chicago. Our phone lines open at 1-800-723-8289. 1-800-723-8289. Now, we all know that President Joe Biden announced officially that he is seeking re-election. We've, you know that story around for the last several months and we're going to be kicking it around for another another at least year on this program so uh, we're not going to talk too much about the president tonight uh, other other, uh, other than a commitment that he has made and previous presidents have made that uh, should China uh, try to uh, you know muscle their way into Taiwan and take over Taiwan the United States would be there to protect Taiwan. Now, a number of presidents, Republicans and Democrats, have sent this message out. Uh, it, it drives China crazy. They hate when they hear people talking about it. They don't even want our leaders to have any communication at all uh, with, with anyone from Taiwan. And, and yet the question I ask is, if it comes to the day when uh, China does something involving Taiwan, What's the American response going to be? Are, are, are young men going to go out and march and fight in this war? Are they going? Are their parents going to, you know, march and say, "No, this is not a good idea"? And I would say that the average American doesn't know too much about Taiwan, doesn't know about any treaties, doesn't know anything about that whole region of the world. And so tonight, for the next two hours, we are very blessed by having people who know something about the area. And uh, we're going to begin. Uh, Chris Roebling and Jennifer Lind uh, are joining us, but I want to begin with Paul. Uh, Post uh, from the University of Chicago Associate Professor. Paul, you have uh, studied and written a lot on this subject. So uh, let me ask the, the basic $64 question, uh, you know, for American voters who are listening tonight. What's so special about Taiwan and what is so special about our commitment to them? Well, first of all, Bruce, thank you for having me on the show again. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. Um, it's a great question, and it's a question I think a lot of Americans are asking, especially in the context of the current war in Ukraine, because you do hear people asking that same question regarding Ukraine. What is, what is our interest there? Why are we involved there? When it comes to Taiwan, it's, it is very much a complicated relationship, starting with the fact that the U.S., up until the early 1970s, very much was aligned with Taiwan. And in fact, Taiwan, or at least we could say the government that sits in Taipei, was actually the UN National Security Council representative um, 
with the seat that is now, of course, held by the government that sits in Beijing, and the U.S. recognized it as such. Ever since then, since the mid-1970s, the U.S. has had official diplomatic ties with the People's Republic of China, the government that sits in Beijing, mm-hmm. but has maintained support and has not officially declared them an independent nation, but has maintained support to the government that sits in Taipei. And so we have this very ambiguous relationship with them. But the reason why we do this is a key reason is the government that sits in Taipei is a democracy. And that stands very much in contrast to, of course, the communist and autocratic government that sits in Beijing. And so that's one key reason. It's also an advanced economy. Um, The U.S. has a lot of economic ties to uh, Taiwan. And so those are two key reasons just one other point. I, w- I want to just jump in to hear uh, others' response as well. Uh, Chris Roebling, you are an international businessman, consultant. Uh, you, you're, a, you're a Republican, uh, not by birth, but by, uh, by, dis- by decisions in your life. Um, what would you add to Professor Post's description of Taiwan and its importance uh, to the United States? Well, I, I'm sure... Professor, you know, who knows a lot more about this stuff than I do, um, was about to say that this is a a key element in U.S. uh, influence and power in the Western in the Western Pacific and that uh, Taiwan and our commitment to Taiwan is intimately related uh, to our commitment, say, to South Korea our commitment to Japan, to the Philippines, and our own economic interests uh, and those of the entire free world to have sea lanes of communication through the East China Sea. So there are both the sort of democratic and historical reasons uh, that, that the professor mentioned, the economic reasons, which, by the way, weigh heavily, I think, against China, the People's Republic of China, invading the Republic of China, ROC, uh, because they're so intimately involved with each other's economies. I want to, Um, Chris, one second. I I want to bring Jennifer Lind into the conversation. So we've engaged everybody. Uh, Jennifer, you've done a lot of study on this issue as well. Uh, What are other things that, that, that listeners and viewers should know about Taiwan, where it is, uh, how much of a military support do they have and, where do they stand in the world? Well, thank you for having me on. And, you know, there are so many perspectives, both from history and, and economics today, that we could we could bring into this or look at it through. I would just add to um, these points that this tiny island of ta- Taiwan has really created for itself an outsized role in the global economy with the semiconductor industry that um, we could look at it from so many different perspectives. But... Um, whether or not we actually would go to war over Taiwan, I don't know if how much of that is based on sort of logic and strategy or how much that's based on sort of a sense of nationalism and politics by those who are our leaders, both elected and appointed. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul, I want, I want you to follow up on that as to whether or not what, what legal grounds do we have? Um, is it is it? <laughs> How strong is the relationship? Because we have a unique situation where we do not recognize Taiwan diplomatically, and yet we hear about this 
this this military uh, agreement that exists that uh, you know we are to be ready to defend them if they are attacked by China. So when we come back, we're going to go to a break right now. When we come back, I'd like you to talk a little bit more about that, and I'd also like to talk about what military strength, if any, does Taiwan have to protect itself. And we'll talk about that when we come back. 1-800-723-8289 is the phone number. 1-800-723-8289. We'll also be talking about Russia and Ukraine as the program unfolds this evening. Talking about foreign policy, waiting for your reaction. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. If you talk they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. So talk, they hear you. You can do it if you try. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, 
at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue, and uh, Paul Post from the University of Chicago is one of our guests. And, Paul, I asked you before the break, uh, what about the ability of Taiwan to protect itself? What sort of military strength do they have? Because many in the world and many in the United States, as you say, you know, they're comparing this to, to Russia and Ukraine. And I think a lot of people are, are uh, sort of stupefied that uh, – uh, Ukraine has done very well. Obviously, they got a lot of support from all over the world, but uh, you know they're do- they're doing pretty well in defending themselves and, and demonstrating that uh, they will fight for their country. Do we have? Do we know if we have any similar situation in Taiwan? It's it's a great question, and it is the big question. And I think the first thing when it comes to doing a catalog, if you will, of the military capabilities of Taiwan, the first thing to keep in mind is the geographic factor, which is that for China to actually invade Taiwan, it would require going across about a hundred miles straight. And that is not a trivial operation for any military. You can think about the difficulties of crossing the English Channel, and that's 12 miles. Uh So that's the biggest thing they have going for them. Now, what they also have is, of course, a lot of artillery, anti-aircraft missiles, and indeed, just recently, the U.S. Congress has approved additional weaponry going to Taiwan for those purposes of kind of defending the land from any type of amphibious assault. Of course, that doesn't mean that China couldn't also try some sort of air assault mm-hmm. um, or bombardment. But in terms of invading in the way that, say, Russia has invaded Ukraine, that would be a very logistically difficult feat, even under the best of circumstances for the PRC. And that's one key thing that differentiates Taiwan from, say, Ukraine. Okay. Uh, Jennifer, uh, tell us more about that region of the world. Obviously, you've got China, you've got Taiwan, you talk about, you know, 100 miles there, but uh, there's, a, there's a lot of other uh, elements and there's a lot of other military, U.S. military hardware in that region of the world. Right. The U.S. has nine bases in the Philippines, and of course, Guam is a U.S. <coughs> territory. We have bases in Japan, and when we look at the map, um, it's enormous, right, the Pacific, and um, while it's 100 miles from mainland China, which, as uh, Professor Post said, is an enormous challenge to launch an invasion, maybe not launch an invasion, but certainly to occupy over, you know, over the ocean. However, it's 6,000 miles from San Francisco. So to, to think of the U.S. launching a war to defend Taiwan, it is, you know, a glance at the map would not work in Taiwan's favor. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, and Professor Post is an expert on alliances, so he could shed light here, but my understanding is the idea that we are obliged to defend Taiwan is tenuous at best. I think the relationship in terms of our um, d- uh, defense um, obligations of Taiwan is very vague. Um, you know, President Carter said there's, um, Taiwan is part of China. There's one China. We have this one China policy. But then when Taiwan had its first democratic elections, I think it was 1996, we started to be um, – to open our, we wanted to sort of do this dance mm-hmm. and navigate a tightrope. Mm-hmm. So we would like to sort of be, uh, we, we really befriended China, brought them in through the WTO, uh-huh. etc. cetera. Okay. Um, but the idea that we're committed to defending Taiwan, I'm not so sure that's quite clear cut. Uh, Chris Roebling, do you agree with that? And also, what would you add to uh, uh, the, the geographic region uh, that uh, 
we would be talking about and focusing on if uh, China and uh, Taiwan were to engage each other? Well, it's it's as uh, Jennifer says, it's far away. But as she also points out, we have assets in that region and we do have allies. And uh, I think the key here is not U.S. versus China over Taiwan. I think the key here is that a growing number of democracies and indeed other uh, countries in the Asia Pacific region are very deeply concerned about Chinese aggrandizement. And this would be seen as their, you know, a, a very big step for China. Uh, there's no question that, you know, um, when, when the, the island of Taiwan is indeed 100 miles off of the uh, coast of mainland China, that uh, it's tough for China, which doesn't have a tremendous record as an offensive military power, has a pretty decent record collapsing under attacks from others. Not that we should have started attacking is there, China. Guys, and this is that for everybody, is, is, there any, is, there any, is there any reason other than its territory that they think rightfully is theirs is there any reason why they need Taiwan for anything? Professor Post, start no. with you. This, this is something that perplexes people. Is they go, why? What is it about Taiwan that, you know, to, to put it back in the terminology I was using earlier? Why would the government sitting in Beijing? Why are they so obsessed with having control over the territory that's under the provision of the government in Taipei? And this is something that, first of all, you could make the case that there are some geostrategic benefits. They would have more control of the strait. They would have more control of the East China Sea. There's, you know, you could make that argument. You can make arguments about them having control of the semiconductor industry there. There's some value to that. But, and, and I think this is something we've seen with Ukraine. You can't underestimate the power of nationalism. You can't underestimate the power of the ideas of certain territory belonging and, and kind of playing up this kind of view of patriotism or nationalism that is predicated on the idea that certain territory, certain land belongs to your people. And that's something that I think is a power that a lot of times we kind of say, really, is that? But I think if we look at what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, we can see that in effect. That's a major driver for why Russia invaded mm -hmm. Ukraine with this belief this nationalism. So I don't think that that can be discounted. In many ways, that's the key reason why they feel like they must have control of that island. I agree Jennifer, wholeheartedly may I, may I, with Paul. Just with one second, Professor Jennifer, Post. then back to you, Chris. You know, and that term nationalism really is key here. I think it gets to the essence of the issue. Benedict Anderson is a historian who writes a lot about this topic, and he often refers to the U.S., the sense of what sort of our, our nationalism. He refers to something called the logo map, that we in the United States, we think of ourselves as this 48, the continental 48, a magnet on your car. The United States is the continental 48. But the world looks at us as a global empire with remnants of imperialism and colonialism from U.S. colonies. And I think to see it in that perspective, Chinese nationalism is absolutely at the heart of this issue. Every U.S. kid grows up learning the terms American exceptionalism and manifest destiny, and that order matters. Every Chinese national, every Chinese kid learns the term century of humiliation. What they see the world as they were humiliated over 100 years by Western powers and Japan, 
and they're determined not to let that happen again. And whether or not China has a, or Taiwan has a strong economy of these semiconductors, et cetera, or not, they don't want to be humiliated by the West again. Chris Roebling, you're trying to get in. Go ahead. I, I think the geostrategic calculus that is at work here is the same in Ukraine, the same in Moscow with respect to Ukraine as it is in Beijing with respect to Taiwan. Whatever you think of President Biden, and you might think he's a great guy, you might think he's a great president, you might think he's a terrible, weak president, regardless, it's quite obvious that Moscow in the Ukraine is testing the West and Beijing with Taiwan, should it go, is testing the West. And I, I think we should see these, I, I, to pick up on Jennifer's point about the so-called century of humiliation, much of which was brought on by China to China, but leave that issue aside for the moment. What, what we're really dealing with here are two aggressive states and two aggressive powers led by unaccountable um, autocrats, and they are they are seeking to strengthen their hold on a lot of different economic and political elements in the mix. And that is why Putin decided to ignore the fact that Russia actually descends from the Kievan Rus, and that is why she is about to ignore the fact that Taiwan's uh, government I'm sorry, that Beijing's government has never controlled Taiwan. Taiwan uh, was a uh, part of China in an era that the Chinese Communist Party explicitly repudiates on the bases that Jennifer okay. was just mentioning about so-called global... So there is no, the just to make sure I'm understanding, there is no population within China that wants to relive the good old days when Taiwan was part of the mainland. Those people are dead and gone? You're already getting all those benefits from the interrelationship. Mm -hmm. The single largest trading partner of China, I'm sorry, of Taiwan, is the People's Republic of China. <laughs> and, and Taiwan would be the largest trading partner of the People's Republic if it was bigger, but it's already well beyond uh, its proportional status. And vice uh, versa is true. There are generations yeah. in Taiwan who've never been to mainland China. Who yeah. in no way defi exactly. defi define yeah. themselves or identify as Chinese. They're Taiwanese. Yeah. A, a, a question uh, about the politics of it. If, uh, Chris, you said that uh, because of the perceived weakness of President Biden uh, in a variety I, of no, areas. No, no, no. I didn't say that. I didn't say no. that. I said we've got autocrats who are testing. I said well, whether you like Biden I or think, not. I, I surmise I think that. he's weak, but I put others it might not. Here's my question. Okay. Um, if, if, Biden, in fact, this is going to be for everybody to sort of think about. If if Biden is perceived to be weak, now, even though you may not have said those exact words, I think that's what you meant, and others on the panel may agree with that. Uh, if Biden is perceived to be weak, is there some reason to believe that China would act sooner than later on their desires for Taiwan, knowing that we have a presidential election coming up uh, next year, and it's possible that a new president of the United States would be perceived to be a lot stronger than Joe Biden, and thus put a put a put the kibosh on China's idea. That's the idea. I want to get everybody to react to the politics of it all, and we'll reintroduce our guests and have some uh, comments to make uh, about our program when we return. I'm Bruce Dumont from coast to coast and border to border and around the world, even in Taipei. 
You're listening to Beyond the Beltway. Uh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media, many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us this evening uh, from coast to coast and border to border. And we've got a great conversation going tonight focusing on foreign policy, uh, not only as it relates to U.S.-Chinese relationship, but also, uh, you know, our, our decision that we're going to defend Taiwan. And, again, we're discussing whether or not that uh, actually uh, – 
uh, would happen if uh, the actuality existed. And we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, Russia and Ukraine as the program unfolds this evening and also uh, uh, a variety of other things. We've got a lot, a lot on our plate tonight. I want to begin this portion of our program where we let each guest uh, share a, a brief description of who they are. And we're going to start with Professor Paul Post from the University of Chicago. Give us a good 15, 20 seconds uh, on your background, Paul. Absolutely. So, yes, I'm a professor at the University of Chicago, uh, and uh, I've been at the University of Chicago since 2015. I'm also a non-resident fellow with the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, uh, and I'm also a weekly columnist for World Politics Review, uh, where I've written on some of the very issues that we're talking about tonight. So, again, always a pleasure to be on the show. Jennifer Lynn joins me in studio. Jennifer, a little bit... Uh of your background. You've been a guest on this program before, but a little bit more about your background. Yes, thank you. I live in Jan Schakowsky's 9th District. I'm often a guest talking about local politics and all things Democrat. I'm on the board there. And I also am an instructor in U.S. foreign policy and international relations at the University of Chicago's Graham School, their extension school. Okay. Chris Roebling, you join us tonight. Normally you're in studio with us, but uh, uh, you're uh, out uh, the hustings of Texas. You're in Houston, Texas tonight. Give us a good uh, 20 seconds on uh, your background and what you've been up to. Well, um, my background includes some many, many years of coming on Bruce Dumont's various radio programs, for which I am eternally grateful. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't even want to state, I don't think Jennifer was alive when I started going on these shows. So uh, it goes back a ways. Anyway, and um, I've been very active in sort of Republican politics and a lot of corporate communication activities. And now I'm more into private investing and especially in India and in uh, the Middle East. Okay. We'll talk more about that as the program unfolds this evening. And uh, I want to take just a moment now to, uh, to share with you sort of some, some personal uh, uh, comments that I have um, that you may or may not know. Uh, I think you probably read this past week that uh, Jerry Springer passed away. And Jerry Springer was a uh, incredibly talented and very shrewd talk show host. He was born about four months before I was, back in 1944. Um, and uh, he became a good friend and uh, very generous with the Museum of Broadcast Communications, uh, which also I read uh, in their Facebook page today is uh, closing its doors uh, in downtown Chicago. And I'm very sorry to see that uh, uh, Jerry made major contributions uh, in my efforts to raise the necessary funds to build the museum and keep it open. I'll have more to say about that in the future. But uh, today was the last day that the museum was open with little uh, advance notification. And uh, the other uh, sad time or side moment to talk about is a longtime friend on this program. And if you are a regular listener to the program and have been for 20 plus years, you will remember that he was a guest on this program for well over 20 years. There's a picture of me and Kenton McCarthy there. But Kenton McCarthy, and we'll refresh you with uh, what the gentleman looked like because he was a frequent guest on Beyond the Beltway. And uh, we actually go back, uh, our, our, our fathers were good friends. So I met Kenton McCarthy probably when he was a young whippersnapper, and I was a young whippersnapper, had maybe 10 years on him. Uh, but we became good friends. He was an incredibly smart, smart as, as, as a whip, and he was a conservative. He never bashed 
uh, his, his way to the debate table. Because even though he was disagreeing with people that he was on this program with, he carried the you know the challenge of conservatism and he carried it very well. And he actually became friends with some people who were on the program opposite opposite him. I remember one appearance he made with Jesse Jackson when he was. This has got to be probably twenty five, thirty years ago. And uh, Jesse Jackson and Kenton became uh, friends. They uh, ended up uh, in, working on, a, on an entrepreneur program. Because Kenton was a, he was a businessman. He believed in the in the free enterprise system, and again, uh, a terrific guy. I heard news uh, this uh, past week that he had passed away. Uh, his sister had given me the information, and also, unfortunately, uh, his younger brother Brian had passed away uh, soon, uh, recently as well. So she has lost uh, two brothers within uh, ten days of one another. So our our condolences go out to the McCarthy family. There will be a public memorial sometime later uh, this summer. Uh, again, a very active in DuPage County politics. And uh, uh, a few years back, when he was the last time he was on this program was on May 16th of 2021. And during that period when uh, we just had, uh, I let each guest take a moment to introduce themselves. This is what Kenton McCarthy had to say about himself. Let's go to Kenton McCarthy because I think uh, your longevity with this program is about the same, right, Kenton? It is since uh, 1992. Okay. Tell us who you are because you know what? So, we're yeah, having a problem. To, uh, just to let you know, we're having a problem. There's a little delay between uh, my asking a question and you responding or you not hearing it. So, um, Tell us a little bit about okay. who you are and uh, what you're up to in, in in real life. Yeah, as as we talked about before the show started, you know my dad. You knew him uh, probably before I knew him. So you you two go way back. <laughs> I grew up in DuPage County. I was a Wall Street Journal, National Review, Cato-type Republican. And all three of those I've dismissed and rejected. I'm now a full-blown economic nationalist and populist, and I'm uh, I'm not as much a fan of Trump as I am Trumpism. Um, and I I help I named my company Vulcan, which you know the name because mm -hmm. that was the family business for since 1916. Right. But I help cities and counties and public bodies manage their portfolios. Okay. Kenton McCarthy, passing away just a couple of weeks ago. Again, a good friend, a terrific conservative, and uh, he was on this program for well over 20 years, started as a very young man, and again, he will be sorely missed. I know that uh, Chris Roebling was on the program with him on many occasions. So we, when we move on from the sadness back to our discussion, and that is the future of foreign policy and the future of U.S. relations, uh, with China and uh, with Taiwan. And uh, I want to ask an economic question uh, to you, Professor Post, and that is, uh, uh, would Taiwan be able to survive if they were under attack in any way by China? Would they, do, would they just be crushed or not? This goes back to the level of support that we could expect Taiwan to receive. 
uh, from the West. I mean, this is very much what we have witnessed over the past year with Ukraine, that if Ukraine was totally isolated and was not receiving the kind of assistance that it was receiving from the West, um, it would it would have already collapsed. Um, and I think, you know, even President Zelensky himself would acknowledge that. Um, in a similar case with Taiwan, that the expectation is that if Taiwan had to hold out for itself, it would not be able to hold out on its own economically or militarily. But the idea is, of course, that it would receive support, maybe not direct fighting support. We can go into that. We can definitely talk about that. But that it would receive similar assistance uh, from the West, not just the United States, that would allow it to be able to survive or even thrive under those circumstances. I so want to go really the key. I want to bring uh, Chris Roebling back into the conversation and Jennifer by asking the question that I asked before uh, the, the break, uh, which is the, the issue of timing. Um, Joe Biden, conceivably to some people, is a lame duck president. The American people will decide that. But again, uh, does does China have a better deal with Joe Biden than they might have with either Donald Trump, uh, DeSantis, or anyone else still in the Republican field? Chris? Um, <clears throat> well, I, I think they do, but I don't think that's necessarily determinative of China's behavior in this case. Um, the, the, the big story this week is for a the nth time we have learned that demography is destiny. India in the last 15 days, it's been sort of widely accepted is now uh, a greater population than China. India's population is at a replacement rate with no coercive measures. China's population is declining in part because of the uh, coercive measures that it imposed, the one China policy. She has much bigger concerns than the independence of China, of uh, Taiwan. However, that doesn't mean it's not a useful bogeyman. Uh, and folks like she need bogeymen to blame for the other privations that their systems impose upon their, their residents. And, and so I'm not sure that they are as interested in taking over as they are in distracting from their own weaknesses, which just by the way, the Trump administration was constantly exploiting and the Biden administration, in my humble opinion, basically does everything possible to ignore. Uh, Jennifer, we've got just 30 seconds for your answer, but uh, what is it? I believe it does not matter who sits at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. In terms of foreign policy, Republicans and Democrats are frankly Tweedledee and Tweedledum. The establishment that Ben Rhodes famously or infamously referred to as the blob they're determined. We're the indispensable nation, and we're going for it regardless of who's in the White House. Okay. Got to pause. 1-800-723-8029. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. 
Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy. Or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Rooster Montpac, we do have a telephone caller on the line. Let's bring uh, her in as well. Joy, listening to us in Spokane, Washington. Go ahead, Joy. Oh, hi. I had a, a question for your guest. Yes. Um, in Spokane, they, um, there's a number of more extreme right radio stations. And um, one of the things they talk about over and over is Biden's crime family and how he is so um, um, strongly compromised by his family's relationship with China. And I was just wondering to what extent there is something behind that or if it there's not anything um i my tendency is to say oh it's just a conspiracy theory but i don't i don't think that that is necessarily the the total answer okay. well let's um, let's, so let's just wondering what you all know stay on the line because we're we have a card-carrying republican 
we have a card-carrying Democrat, and then we have someone in the middle. So I'm going to start with our card-carrying okay. Republican, Chris Roebling. Um, what do you make of all of the um, media coverage, and there's been significant medium co- media coverage, of primarily in conservative media, about Joe Biden, the Biden family, and China? Are you worried? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not crazy about what we know so far and what is not contested so far. But I don't think the entire story has been told. I think the Biden administration and its Justice Department have done everything they can to obscure the real story. But uh, be that as it may, I, I don't think we should go jumping to conclusions about Trump or Biden or Jimmy Carter or the next president, whoever he or she may be. Professor Post, your response. Are you worried about yeah. uh, that relationship? I, I'm not worried about that relationship. And the reason why I'm not worried about that relationship, and this goes back to even the earlier conversation that we could be having, is Biden has made very clear his stance um, to the point to where they've had to walk back his statements, right? He's made very clear his stance in terms of how he views the U.S. commitment to Taiwan. And if he, and if you were to say he had these extreme business interest in not wanting to do that, well, he's doing behavior that publicly that would go the exact opposite of that. So that, that would be something that would lead me to say, even if there is a there there with some of those claims, which I don't think there's much of one, um, his behavior suggests that it's not something that would in any way compromise his views on this issue. Uh, let's hear from the Democrat, Jennifer Lind. I'm not... Nuclear County Democrats. I have not seen these reports or listened to the radio shows that the caller's referring to, but I'm not worried about it. I, I was more worried about our 45th president, um, global financial interests from golf courses in Scotland to real estate in the Middle East. Are you worried about Hunter Biden and what you've learned about Hunter Biden? By um, the way, I mentioned it's New Trier Democrats, not New Trier County. There's no New Trier that's County. That's okay. And it's New Trier Township also, New, and okay. it is New Trier Democrats in the New Trier Township, 9th District with Jan Schakowsky. Um I don't know enough about it, but I'm always open to learning more. Why do you not know much about it? You're you're very uh, bright. You're uh, investigative. Uh, yes, you're that's an instructor. True. Well, uh, it's been in the news. How come you're not more interested in it? Well, I do tend to focus more on all things international, um, and I do think it's worthwhile to. Don't look you into think it, that's potentially international? Of course, I mean, it if, is the, having... if the if the son of the vice president of the United States and now the president of the United States is uh, flying around the world and being introduced as the president's son. I mean, don't you think there's a potential conflict there? Yes, of course, especially in Ukraine, if that's what we're thinking about, Hunter Biden. So Mm -hmm. it's important that those investigations are ongoing for sure, while Biden's in the White House and beyond. Okay. I want to go back to uh, Paul. Paul, the last time you were on this program or a previous time, uh, you had some unkind things to say about Tucker Carlson. He is now out at Fox. Um, your, your dislike for Tucker Carlson was, was it what he said or the way he said it? Because he raised questions that few people in the media, uh, raise. And is that not, is that not part of a, a free society that we need reporters who are aggressive in, in searching out answers, uh, even if they begin with a, uh, with a bias? You know, and, and, and to be perfectly clear, I'm a big advocate of the right for Tucker Carlson to be able to say what T- Tucker Carlson wants to say. Uh, I have no problem with that. 
do I need to listen to Tucker Carlson say those things? Uh, not necessarily. Um, you know, but I'm more than happy if Tucker Carlson wants to have a conversation sometime. I'm more than happy to have a conversation with him. That was kind of my view there. No, I think he is fine to make these comments. But the problem is, is that, you know, do you only hear from Tucker Carlson? And that's, of course, been one of the big concerns people have had about Tucker Carlson is that, you know, people get just his view. They only listen to him. He's big on entertainment. And, you know, that's some that's a big reason why he was a big draw for Fox. And so people would only listen to him. Um, but, yeah, obviously this past week something interesting happened. And, again, it's outside of my area of expertise. But I will just say that um, his departure from Fox was very sudden. Um, and I think it raises a lot of questions about what exactly was going on. Um, and I think we also have enough insight now to know that even Tucker Carlson might not agree with everything that Tucker Carlson says in public when he's on his show. So I think that's, um, uh, that's something okay. that my context. Chris Roebling, back to you. Uh, your response to the Tucker Carlson uh, 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 firing and also uh, how significant a figure is he politically in the country, even now? Well, I think that Fox is, we've got a lot of noise on the line. I think that Fox has very seriously hurt itself in terms of ratings and in terms of its uh, uh, ability to to, uh, sell ads. And I don't know how it's going to come back from that. Uh, I like Tucker Carlson. I think he's a brilliant guy and I think he's kind of fearless. Uh, I think he said, I agreed with a lot of the things he said, not everything that he said, I do recall very distinctly in the uh, period between the election in 2020 and, and the uh, inauguration, he was seconds. furious at Sidney Powell. And I, he was one of the very few people out there who pointed out she was full of hot air. So how all of this sorts out is uh, up to Lachlan uh, Murdoch and, and his dad and not up. Okay. We do have to pause on that point. Chris Roebling, Paul Post. And Jennifer Lind, they're joining us tonight. We're talking about foreign policy, 1-800-723-8289. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion, uh, not only of uh, Russia and Ukraine, but also China and Taiwan. And I will ask the question again, is America ready to support troops on the ground fighting a war over China and Taiwan? Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. 
Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Mr. Montbeck, we continue with hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. We're talking about U.S. relations with China as it relates to Taiwan and whether or not we would be uh, protective of uh, Taiwan should the Chinese uh, move on Taipei. And uh, I, I want to get a question that I've asked a number of times is whether or not the American people would support it. Now, we haven't had people either yes or no tonight calling in and, and, and offering their response. So if there is an anti-war movement uh, about it, uh, nobody knows about it. But, Jennifer, give, give us your sense of how the American people would uh, respond if uh, their sons and daughters had to be, uh, you know, marching off to, to war or engaging in war with China. In a word, I think they would not support it. I think when we look at when support was widespread for war, uh, you know, we, it's easy to think that for leaders, elected leaders, it's never popular to oppose a war. Yet, really only on 9-11, when we were attacked on our soil, did we have immediate widespread public and government support. Um, on September 12th, there was only one member of Congress, both houses of Congress, who voted against the authorization for use of military force, and that was Representative Barbara Lee. But that's when we were attacked on our soil. We think back at something like, uh, speaking of Asia, when we look at Pearl Harbor, um, every kid in America knows December 7th, 1941, right? But in fact, Roosevelt still had to work very hard to get Americans to back his desire to go to war against um, Germany. Nine hours after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, they attacked the Philippines, where there were 16, 17 million people who looked at FDR as their commander-in-chief. It was U.S. territory. Japan attacked all sorts of islands, U.S. territories in Asia. And still, when Roosevelt and when FDR and Eleanor made their speeches, they had to sort of round up Hawaii to make it more American. It was not yet a state until 1959, and sort of round down the Philippines and, our, and Guam and Marianas and other islands to make them more foreign and less American. Mm-hmm. The idea of being 
a, um, a, an island that's not you not a u.s it's not u.s territory it's not part of our country the idea that we would rally to, to defend them is a hard one to imagine mm-hmm. uh chris roebling uh where do you come down on this i mean would there be uh would there be popular support for such uh, an effort or would there be a re- reemergence of an anti-war movement rather quickly <laughs> What is the national vital interest we have in defending Taiwan? Well, the vital national interest that we have in defending Taiwan is really about maintaining a status quo that has been beneficial to all nations in the Western Pacific. And we need to have access to the Western Pacific, and China needs to stay where it is and not try to take over Taiwan. So I, th- I think what we are talking about here would endanger, uh, I'm sorry, would engender an anti-war movement. There's no question that there's a group of people that will always be opposed to any assertion of American power overseas. I think that the responsibility of leaders, whether it's George Bush after 2000, after 9-11, or, or Franklin Roosevelt after Pearl Harbor, or uh, even Joe Biden, should China move on Taiwan, the respons- responsibility of leaders look to Winston Churchill, look to the uh, garnering of support and the building of understanding and the building of support for uh, a policy that is going to uphold American interests and those of our allies. But based, we do but based on, but on, based on what we, based on what, what will take us seriously. I'm sorry, based on what we know now, um, if we were to look at a, at, a, at a political rematch between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, and should this issue continue to uh, bubble up, Professor, it seems to me that Joe Biden would be the person, because he said it as recently as a couple of weeks ago, that he would stand by Taiwan, and that Donald Trump, who when he ran in 2016, warned against unwanted wars uh, you know, across the world, and uh, that Donald Trump conceivably could be the anti-war candidate based on, on, on what he has said in the past. Do you see that clear definition or not? Build on the point that was just being raised, um, I, I fully agree that it's up to the president to be able to build that kind of support for an operation. I mean, to me, one of the best foreign policy presidents that we've had of past few generations was George H.W. Bush and the effort that he made on James Baker to be able to build the coalition, oppose Iraq and move them out of Kuwait. And that was indeed a case that was being able to sell to the American public. And it is, it's a sales job to be able to sell. This is in our interest. We need to do this. This is, you know, as Bush said during his State of Union address, it's more than just one small country. It's a big idea. And it really builds on these same notions that are being brought up with respect to Taiwan, Ukraine. And you would see that that would be the kind of effort that to be made. Having said that, I still don't see U.S. ground troops being used at all. I could see where the U.S. Navy might play a role. I can see where the U.S. Air Force would play a role. But I think that ultimately the support that would be given would be more on the support side. It would be providing arms, providing aid, very similar to what we're seeing with Ukraine. 
Um, I think that there might be more calls for kind of a deterrent effect because the reality is that if China were to try to do this, it would be in slow motion. It wouldn't be, I mean, it, with the exception of a bombardment, obviously if they were trying to bombard, that would be a different situation. However, I think if they were bombarding um, Taipei, that could actually lead to a huge international backlash against China that might actually make it easier to build up a coalition of support. What do we But I think, you know, in that kind of situation, yeah, even then it's gonna to be tough to get US forces directly involved. But what do we know, and this is really can be for anybody, what do we know about the US forces that are in Japan? They're in uh, Korea, South Korea. Philippines. They they're in the Philippines, they're in Guam. I mean uh, who knows on this panel what what type of strength there is? I, I know one is 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 sort of intelligence, right? I, I think Guam is intelligence. But Jennifer, do you have a comment on that? Well, we're it's an arms race, really, yeah. right? China's been building a blue water navy for years now. Um, it is an arms race in the Pacific. Chris, do you have a, well, a thought I, on that? We, yeah, I mean, what do um, we know about the rest of the rest of what, what's happening with U.S. troops? Uh, in that region of the world. I mean, I've known about it for, for 50 years. Uh, I don't know what kind of military, uh, st you know, strength is there. What's the, I, what I would agree. they add to a well, war? I agree with, I agree with Pro Professor uh, Post that I'm, I'm not looking at, I, I do not think that we are going to see American troops on the ground in Taiwan. I think that we should be prepared for our fast attack uh, Los Angeles class and Virginia class and maybe even some Ohio class submarines to eliminate a lot of Chinese naval assets in the first, literally in the first minutes. If, they are, if there is any sort of immediate assault on Taiwan, I think that the United States Navy doctrine and what has been communicated publicly and therefore what the Chinese are already taking into account mm -hmm. is that a lot of their surface Navy vessels in the Western Pacific will be destroyed within the first 90 minutes of this conflict. Mm -hmm. um, right. I want to get re I want to get reaction from our other guests. We do have to pause 1-800-723-8029 with a uh, prediction from uh, Chris Roebling that this would be primarily a Navy war. Uh, involving uh, China and Taiwan. Back shortly from Chicago, I'm Bruce Dumont. Oh. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. If you talk and they will hear you 
We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. So talk, you can do it if you try. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Chris Roebling and Paul Post from the University of Chicago. And Jennifer Lind, also an instructor at the UFC, uh, joins uh, join us this evening. 1-800-723-8029. Uh, uh, Chris and uh, Professor Post will be with us for just uh, one more segment. But I do want to ask, uh, uh, Chris, you mentioned in, in one of your earlier responses to a question, you talked, you brought up India. Now, where would India, you mentioned that India uh, is or is about to be the largest, most populated uh, country on earth, a longtime democracy, uh, where would they fit into a battle between China and Taiwan? Well, I, I, I think India wants to avoid involvement in these so-called great power conflicts because India has got enough knitting uh, with 1.4 billion people to worry about in India. Having said that, there is no question that there is a long time, as in millennium, millennia long, concerns in India about China and vice versa. And um, there is also a concerted effort as we speak by India, Japan, IMF, and World Bank to rescue Sri Lanka, which had fallen into the grip of China. Uh, so, so India knows on which side its bread is buttered and hopes for a better relationship with the United States and with the West. Mm -hmm. However, exigencies being what they are and um, resource requirements being what they are, India has been buying a lot of uh, deeply discounted Russian coal and uh, buys Russian oil. Mm -hmm. And India lives in the real world, not in a world of, you know, sort of 
ideals. Okay, so so India would I think India Australia and the United States and Japan are working a lot more together about China, but I don't know that India would take on uh, uh, active arms. I, I will say India's navy is arming to the teeth, especially in the area of drone technology, to defend against China because of China's aggressive tendencies and instincts. Let's talk about what uh, China is doing now, Professor, with uh, their expansion uh, from their home country around the world, whether it is in Africa, South America. Tell us a little bit more about how uh, how aggressive they have been in uh, in providing an economic uh, uh, branch, if you will, uh, to uh, Africa and South America and other places around the world. Yeah, well, a key aspect of what you're talking about is the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, um, and that has been a long-standing program to try to use development aid as a way to bring countries in the various regions that you referred to uh, closer to China and China's orbit. And, and, of course, this has also led to, indeed, the very situation Chris was just talking about with Sri Lanka is, of course, a part of this program. And this is... Indeed, what's been interesting when looking at what it's been doing, whether it's through the Belt and Road Initiative or other type programs, is how they've been trying to basically target countries that were not part of the traditional, if you will, liberal international order that we think of as the United States, that, you know, trying to engage more in Africa. And that was indeed a big part of the beginning of this program. But they've subsequently moved more into Latin America. And this has, of course, led to some tensions, let's uh, say, of the United States, mm-hmm. and then even some members of the European Union, um, Italy uh, being a, a one example, Greenspan, another example, who have been taking on projects, Belt and Road Initiative. This has actually led the European Union to try to devise their own answer to this, mm-hmm. right? Now, of course, there already are some institutions that can answer to it. They're called the World mm-hmm. Bank. They're called the IMF that was already brought up. But what's been interesting is the extent to which they have not been used to directly try to counter this program. But this is this is this is kind of the main program that Belt and Road Initiative has been one of the main programs China's been using to try to have Do they have a do they have a blank do they have a blank check? I mean literally, I mean if if the United States was trying to do this and, and a lot of this sounds like things that the United States has been doing in the past, we're obviously we're out passing out all kinds of billions of dollars uh, to ingratiate ourselves with countries around the world. There's nothing new to that. But again, you know, when that happens in the United States, you go through a Congress and there's there's debate on it. But d- does China, do they have an unlimited amount of money to invest uh, to ingratiate themselves around the world? Um, I think the short answer is no, they don't. Um, and this is something they, they've acted like they do. But this is something that is now starting to get more attention. Um, a lot of economists are pointing out more to the debt problem and the fact that China mm-hmm. does actually have a substantial debt problem. And moreover, unlike the United States, where we have a major international reserve currency and most of the borrowing Um, Therefore, it can be easily financed by the United States. That's not the case with China. And so this is something where we've even seen this domestically in China, right, where some of these, you know, cities that were built, massive projects, infrastructure projects have subsequently been torn down because they just they were built, they were financed and there was nothing to that. And so I think that, no, there is not an unlimited 
ability of China to be able to do this. Um, but they've been pushing those limits and they've continued to push those limits and the wall hasn't yet hit them with it. But I think it could. And this is something that I've been seeing some economists have been paying attention to. Yeah. Now, I also noticed that uh, Paraguay in, in Central, in, in South America, uh, they've had an election. And one of the issues in the election was the ongoing presence and support of and for Taiwan. Now that's, but in, in doing that reading, I found out that Taiwan, which we mentioned, is not recognized by the United States. It is there's no there's no diplomatic relations with Taiwan, but Taiwan only has 13 countries in the world where they have a diplomatic mission. Jennifer, they don't have a lot of friends out there. They don't, in fact, um, and in a sense, economically, they have a lot of leverage. So in terms of security, they do. It is in our national interest not to have a war there, and not to have to have um, not to have China retake Taiwan. Yet, in terms of Paraguay, that brings up an interesting point. Paraguay is firmly in the Western Hemisphere, and our Monroe Doctrine, which is approaching its 200th anniversary this December 2nd, is still in full force. And China knows that. So this Belt and Road policy throughout Europe, reaching deep into Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, that's not the Belt and the and Monroe Road. Doctrine. For people that may not know, give us a quick. 1823. It's President Monroe gets his name on the doctrine. However, first of all, it wasn't a doctrine like we think of it today. It was a British idea proposed to our sec then Secretary of State John Quincy Adams, because Britain was worried about European. Um, powers, Spain and France, um, acquiring new territories, new colonies in Latin America. So Britain said to the U.S., hey, let's have a joint declaration and tell our rivals on, on the continent to keep their hands off of Latin America. And the U.S. said, that's all right, we'll go solo. We'll do our own doctrine. Mm -hmm. uh, but you, British, if you could please patrol it, because we didn't have a Navy. Chris Roebling, uh, you're, you're waving to get yeah, out. I, I, I want to say, I, I hope that Jennifer and I get to share a stage sometime, because I'm going to say uh, the the so-called Monroe Doctrine, and I agree with what she's pointing out, it was really a, a method of the Brits and the United States taking advantage of the heroism and the courage and the pluck of a guy named Simon Bolivar, who had just liberated, along with a bunch of other people, including a fascinating uh, woman who really helped him be the liberator of the liberators. Anyway, uh, Bolivar... Uh, ran roughshod across Spain in Latin America in the early 19th century. And I agree with Jennifer, the Brits came along and, and sought to make the most of that. So I'm, I'm just going to take a look at a sort of a realpolitik view. I don't think that the Brits were really seeking to help the U.S. They were just trying to exploit what Bolivar had already accomplished. Okay. Let's now, take a call. Jason, Jason in, North, uh, in Northern California. Go ahead, Jason. you got a quick question. Yeah, hey, Bruce. I Hi. just want to make a comment, actually. Sure. Um, you asked what, uh, why the U.S. would potentially defend Taiwan, and <clears throat> something I didn't hear from anybody was the fact that uh, uh, Taiwan produces 90% of the world's advanced semiconductors. So basically most of our military uh, advanced weaponry is somehow associated with Taiwan. Also, the other reason is that uh, Taiwan would be a deep water port for uh, China to control the Pacific. 
Um, and the military recently, in the last six months, has been doing, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of uh, war games uh, with AI and whatnot mm-hmm. and different strategies. And uh, the U.S. doesn't look good. Uh, matter of fact, most of the most of the uh, war war gaming that I've seen, uh, U.S. loses uh, three uh, aircraft carriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, one in the first uh, 24 hours. Um, so uh, it's, no, yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons yeah. to. That's a really important point. As I mentioned first, um, early on in the program, the semiconductor industry that Taiwan has really built, they've, they've really essentially put the reins in their own hands with this. And those matter from everything from our household appliances to the military and NASA. So the answer to the question of, what is it about Taiwan that we should be perhaps willing to fight for is Taiwan is an independent nation. It is filled with lots of very smart people who manufacture one of the, one of the basic uh, elements of virtually anything that any industrial nation in the world needs uh, to compete and to grow, and uh, that's sort of a, we, we've saved that to the end of our at least brief conversation this evening, but that's that's a good answer to button it up, and uh, thanks very much to you, Jason, for adding your, your thoughts on that. Paul Post, thank you very much from the University of Chicago. You've got to head off. Chris Roebling, thank you very much in Houston, Texas. Uh, we thank you very much. Jennifer Lind and I, we will continue and take calls at 1-800-723-8289. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Song again. Here's that song again. For the hundredth time today. Here's that song again. It's gonna be stuck in your head all day. Here's that song again. It will make you cray cray. You love your kids enough to watch that TV show a bajillion times. Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. (laughs) I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'll be 
Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening, and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance, early and often, on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Fritz Goldman is here. He is our longtime producer and director. He's waving, and uh, that's always a good sign that he's alive and well behind the board. And, again, uh, uh, he's here every Sunday night with us, as as well as yours truly. And uh, Jennifer Lint and I, we have uh, 30 minutes to talk politics, and the phone lines remain open at 1-800-723-8029. And I want to get back, since you were a member of the New Trier uh, Township Democratic Party, I want to come back to how comfortable you are with your standard bearer being as old as he is. I am less comfortable than I was a few years ago. I don't believe in age limits. I think that is undemocratic, just mm-hmm. like I'm against term limits. Um, mm-hmm. um, but yes, I do. I, I am concerned not just for today, but to think ahead six years from now, to think a second term with President Biden. I do worry about his um, just his simple age, the ability to. Do perform. you, as part of that, uh, do you also worry about the the quali- not the qualifications, but what we know already about the current vice president? I mean, would you feel comfortable her being a heartbeat away? Uh, you didn't, you know, four years ago when you voted for her. Right. But, uh, you know, he's four years older now, and so is she, but I don't know whether she's got four years of credentials that would rally people towards her. I do. I feel comfortable with her. I do support her. I think it's a definitely vice president is a very hard job to ace. They say the spouse of the vice president is sort of a hard job to flub up, right, that mm-hmm. her husband gets so much positive press. Well, she gets so much negative press. But looking at her qualifications, looking at her career in California, I do feel comfortable with her in many ways. Her background, mm-hmm. her, her experience, yes, I do, actually. I think um, um, she, is, she does get a lot of bad press, but nevertheless, I feel comfortable with, them, with her. Why is it uh, that the Democrats don't appear to have uh, a, a long bench for people ready to step up? What, what is your sense of that? I've always sensed, and especially now, I think the Republicans have a much better um, knack for PR. I think they have a better knack for slogans. I think they have a better knack for publicity. Um, How I about do- getting elected as uh, as as governors? Right. I mean, that's that, that that to me is, you know, numero uno. That's a good other point. Other than the slogan. That's a good point. 
But people like our Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo, or Pete Buttigieg, who is younger, speaking of youth, um, and the governor of Colorado right now, I think we, we do have a bench, but we do need to do a better job at promoting that, at getting that out there. But how would you, at this moment in time, there isn't any way that, that, that uh, Kamala Harris could be pushed aside, is there, for the party to survive? I mean, to, 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 to sack a, an incumbent African-American woman? I think at this point, that's the, we have to get behind both of them as the, as the, as the, on our ticket. Yeah. How do you do it? How do you do that? Well, um, I think to play up to their strengths rather than to um, point fingers and just do a negative campaign, I think to play up to but their what, strengths. But what is her strength? I mean, when, when, you, when you look at three and a half years of Kamala Harris, what is the strength? I mean, the positions that she's been given or jobs she's been given mm-hmm. are not good jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, no, but no, they're similar to other gigs that vice presidents would have been given. Right. But I mean, one of the big ones is is the southern border, and that that I think is probably the single biggest uh, albatross around uh, this administration's mm-hmm. neck, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and she's in charge of that. Right. The southern border is always a tricky one. I think we, we know we need immigration. We need immigrants. We're a country of immigrants. And just for basic economic reasons, we need immigrants of all sorts. We need um, engineers from Southwest Asia, and we need um, farm workers from Latin America who come up into California. Um, uh, the answers aren't easy. They aren't obvious. But I do think she's um, – I don't know that she's done any worse job than anyone else has. Not that that's our – that's not our um, benchmark for how we measure her. Um, I think. Well, she's, how would you measure her against Dick Cheney? Well, I simply, night and day. Well, yes, I simply agree with her her views over Dick Cheney's views. I agree with the values and the ideals that Kamala Harris stands for, rather than the policies that Dick. Do Cheney Do you believe for. since abortion rights is has emerged as, you know, that's part of her sweet mm-hmm. spot? Mm-hmm. Um, is the Democratic position on abortion, first of all, what is it, in your opinion, what's the Democratic position on abortion? I, um, I, I noticed, first of all, that that is highlighted in uh, President Biden's re-election video. Uh-huh. The, pro-abor- the pro-choice stance is very right. much highlighted in the video in the different marches. What does they, pro-choice mean to you? To me and to the Democratic Party, it means a phrase I think the Clintons captured best, although they got a lot of backlash for it that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. I think it means no one is in favor of abortion. Some it's, are. Uh, oh, I there think are, it's in favor, favor of it. Well, it saddens me to think of that. Well, I think as opposed to in favor of the choice to have an abortion. Uh, no, no I, I would not argue at the Democratic Party or I, people are in favor of seeing more abortions as in have more abortions, but rather in keeping it legal as a choice. But in the in the political discussion that's out there now at, at the state and the national level is uh, affixing a number of weeks when a, a, a fetus is, is viable. Yes. So is that a legitimate, is that something that should be decided by states? The Supreme Court has said this is all about states. But, you know, ever since that happened in the last year, I mean, the states are now reacting in a variety of ways, some being very conservative, some being, you know, certainly more liberal and, 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 and progressive. But what's the answer? Is, that, is, it, is it viable? Is it okay for a woman to have an abortion 
up until a week before a child is born? Well, of course not. The answer is somewhat. Of course not. But I, I don't know whether Democrats necessarily would respond as quickly as you did, which is fine. I don't think I've heard a single elected or appointed Democrat say it's okay to abort a child up until a week before a child is born. I think those, a medical doctor can speak to the exact number of weeks when a, when a child, an unborn child is a viable child mm -hmm. as opposed to a fetus or an embryo. Right. But I think the democratic position is that women should have the right to choose to abort an unwanted pregnancy or a pregnancy for other health reasons up until a certain number of weeks, whether it's mm -hmm. 12, whether it's 16, 18, whether, whatever it is when a, um, an unborn child is, is a viable child. If Absolutely. I, what I wish we had more discussion on is birth control to limit unwanted pregnancies, that they should be safe, legal, and rare. I think that's really missing for the conversation. The idea that we would limit the right to the access to birth control is something I would strongly oppose. Do you think the Republicans stand for that? Some do, unfortunately. No. But again, if you have... Some do. I mean, at, at, at what point do you look at the Republican Party and say, okay, this is a Republican Party. You, you live in New Trier uh, Township. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Republicans out there. Mm -hmm. uh, at what point do you say the Republican who may be my next door neighbor or who I see at the, at the local, uh, you know, ice cream shop at Homer's Ice Cream is someone that's okay with me? But the president seems to be focusing on MAGA Republicans. The only Republicans he tends to choose to talk about are those people, many of whom showed up on January 6th. And that's not the whole party. But he has, he has whitewashed the entire uh, you know, uh, Republican Party as all being MAGA Republicans. Is that, is that fair? Well, I don't think he's, I don't see how he's whitewashed the Republican Party as all MAGA Republicans. In our district, the 9th District of Illinois, 68% of our district voted for Joe Biden. So that means about a third of our neighbors voted, against, voted mm -hmm. for Trump. So I work hard not to point fingers at my neighbors, but rather to find compromise and build bridges. And I think one way we can do that is, for example, to avoid unwanted pregnancies and to avoid abortion, abortion in the first place. One thing I strongly oppose is Obamacare, which provides funding to women for birth control. You oppose that? I, I support that. Support I support that, that very I'm much sure to, to support Obamacare and to support funding for birth control so that we reduce the number of unwanted pregnancies and reduce the number of abortions women seek. If a woman has made a choice to have a child and that child grows up and goes into the school system, uh, does that woman carry with her the choice of how her child is educated? Yes, of course. And to those institutions that want to basically say that educators who are engaged in, in things that might be perceived as unpopular they're not to be supported. Are they? Are they to be? Because that's also mentioned in the uh, uh, in the announcement spot by the, by the president. Yes, I is, saw that. Is, you know, where do parents' rights come into this? Well, they're directly right there because the board of education, board of education, those board members are elected by the residents of the school district. In most cases, right. and so though the board of education is somewhere to really focus our attention. If we want to 
um, have a say and support how our schools are run, how the administrations are run, regarding the curriculum, what is taught, everything related to the schools. Parents can attend those meetings, can vote. Every two years we vote for our Board of Education members. That is direct access and influence into how our schools serve our children, our students, and our community. And if they make decisions about uh, the teaching of, of sexual or related uh, matters, uh, that's okay? Or does it come back to the parent again? Sex ed is um, an integral part of the curriculum, and that is set by the Board of Education. And again, those members are, are elected. They're not appointed. They are elected by the community. We've got a pause. 1-800-723-8029. In our last segment tonight, we're talking with Jennifer Lind. She is an instructor at the University of Chicago in Foreign Relations. And also, uh, she's active in the Nutrier Township Democratic Party. Amber Dumont, don't go away. One more segment coming up. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zinc and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. 
beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Roostermont back in Chicago. Nice to have you with us this evening. We're talking with Jennifer Lind in our last half hour this evening. Uh, she is with the New Trier Democrats, and also she's a uh, instructor at the University of Chicago. And she was invited to be uh, a guest this evening because of uh, uh, her background and interests and in, in, in study in uh, foreign policy. So we'll continue that discussion now because uh, there were a lot of things uh, in the foreign policy area that we didn't really get into. And uh, one of those is which is you said uh, you referenced the Monroe Doctrine in the first 90 minutes of the program. And you think that China is trying to create its own version of the Monroe Doctrine. Why and how would it work? Well, an easy way to think of that is when if you picture the global map, the U.S. really its Monroe Doctrine covers Latin America. That we've basically said to any other country, hands off Latin America. We're then we're safe with Canada to our north and Mexico to the south and the Atlantic and the Pacific. China is not the case, surrounded by neighbors and and water and the oceans, but or the seas. Um, and China wants to have its own safe corner of the world. It doesn't. It, it after the century of humiliation, it looks back at its history of being um, subjugated, being uh, divided up by Western powers and Japan. By, um, with the uh, 100 years of war, mm-hmm. China now wants to feel safe in its own hemisphere, its own region of the world. In IR speak, you would say it's a, hege- a regional hegemon, and it doesn't want to have to fear for its security by any of its neighbors. So Japan, Philippines, Vietnam, Australia, they need to choose. Are they with the U.S. or are they with China? But realistically, n- none of the countries that you just named, n- none of them have the military strength to stand up to China if China invaded them, right? Exactly. So they okay. need to side with one or the other, and they're siding with the United States, okay. which means letting us have bases <clears throat> and ports and military presence there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, uh, Chris Rubling was talking about uh, about India. Now, India now, according to him, is the, is the largest democracy in the world. So where where largest country in the world. Where, where would you put them in the in the discussion? Well, and they are indeed. And and they're not friends. They haven't been friends for a long time. Right. And indeed, you're both correct. They're the largest country and the largest democracy. Mm -hmm. India is messy. Democracies are messy. It's much easier to rule, in a way, with an iron fist, right, Mm -hmm. in China. Who's, For example, the way they've controlled the Internet with a successful firewall to control one point, whatever it is, billion people. So I think India is trying to balance. India is sort of in this... um, trying to navigate and thread the needle between what's going on with Russia, China, and the U.S. Yeah. Um, India's and they've got their focus on, on Pakistan. Is right. More of their, both of that, them that's are, more of their immediate security concern. They are both nuclear powers, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the global south doesn't quite have to choose like um, other countries have to in East Asia. Now, you also re- referenced North Korea. Let's talk about where North Korea would fit into a possible conflict between China and uh, Taiwan. Well, North Korea, many say there are two or three, I would say, countries that are the least lucky in the world in terms of geography, Poland, Ukraine, and Korea. North Korea is stuck. They don't have a choice. 
um, as uh, of course, our war never finished, right? It's been a no man's land. It's mm-hmm. been a truce. We have right. a demilitarized zone between North and South Korea. But North Korea shares a border with China. And the idea that China would allow North Korea to be free, to unite with South Korea, or to make um, uh, peace agreements with democracies or its rivals is just not going to happen. But North Korea wouldn't, I mean, North Korea would not be, uh, that would not be a, a friendly takeover. That would be a hostile takeover. Wouldn't, uh, wouldn't South Korea become more uh, communistic than uh the other way around. I mean, it isn't likely that South Korea would defeat North Korea, is it? No, not at all. And okay, China so would never let would that they, happen. Why would they? You know, why would China worry about uh, about North Korea in that respect? Well, because the United States and the Western world, United States and Japan, are are uh, close allies with South okay. Korea, and we have bases there. So, China has to make sure that North Korea stays on its side and doesn't allow North Korea to unite or ever become free with mm-hmm. South Korea. Because really, to have a free, democratic, open country on its border would mean the beginning of the end for China. Which, Similarly with Russia and Ukraine. Right. A free NATO member on its border in Ukraine, the Ukraine-Russian border, could spell the beginning of the end for Putin. Now, we've, we've done, uh, we've got about seven, six few minutes left in the program this evening. We've talked about China and all the, all the publicity and focus on China and a little bit more about Taiwan. Why do you think that Taiwan has not been terribly aggressive in trying to raise their visibility so that they are garnering support from Americans? I mean, real, live, not diplomatic Americans mm-hmm. that they may need someday in the future. Or are they, well, why do they do that? They don't seem to My sense invest is- much in in. In, in raising their visibility. I mean, a lot of people know about, you know, about, uh, you know, South Korea, mm-hmm. Philippines, but they don't know much, they don't know much about. I, I suspect that Taiwan does, the government does, for example, the president of Taiwan just visited with Kevin McCarthy at the Reagan Library earlier yeah. this month. I think at high levels that political leaders, both elected and appointed, are working closely to support Taiwan. I think the short answer is because public opinion actually doesn't matter. I don't think that's the key question to ask. Whether or not Taiwan could build widespread public support in the U.S. or in the West to support and defend it from China, I don't think that public support matters. I think the leaders make the decisions in small groups and around their tables. Look what happened with Iraq. Huge global uh, protests against Iraq. So in your view, in in your view, we shouldn't worry too much about China and Taiwan. It's not it's not going to become a defining figure or, or issue in the next 25 years uh, if you're living in the United States? I think we should worry about China, who is now our peer competitor, who seeks uh-huh. to be a, is a hegemon in Asia, if not a global hegemon and a competitor of the U.S. But I don't know that Taiwan is our worry. But don't trust but verify. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> Definitely. On that note, our thanks to Jennifer Lynn. She is an instructor in foreign policy at the University of Chicago, working out of the Gleacher Center in downtown Chicago. And also uh, Professor Paul Post from the UFC joined us earlier in the broadcast, as well as Chris Roebling, international businessman and Republican commentator. Again, thanks to Fritz Coleman for his assistance in the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago.
Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Oh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zinc and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. If you talk, they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. So protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve! By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free 24-7 confidential support.